Welcome to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Tuber Talk is produced by Potatoes in Canada magazine. You've tuned in to hear about the people and the ideas making a difference in the Canadian potato industry. You may not know a lot about Adama, but Adama has a lot to offer when it comes to potato growers. With a full portfolio of herbicides, insecticides, and a fungicide, Adama can provide potato growers with all of their crop protection needs. Additionally, with access to over 270 actives worldwide and a singular focus on crop protection, we are poised to deliver. We proudly offer a suite of ever-evolving herbicide, fungicide, and insecticide options so you can customize to create easy-to-use solutions that protect your ROI and deliver results. Welcome to this issue of Tuber Talk. My name is Derek Cluche, and I'm the editor of Potatoes in Canada. And today we're talking with Drew Thompson, Area Business Manager for Adama Canada. Drew is going to help us get a better understanding of insecticides, how they work, what they are intended to do, what factors can contribute to them not working the way one would expect, and what type of products are tailored to potato growers' specific needs. Welcome, Drew. Well, thank you very much for this opportunity, Derek. No problem. So let's just get right started here. And how about we start off by just you telling us a little bit about yourself and your specific area of interest? Sure. No, I appreciate that. So, you know, when preparing for this, kind of looked at what I've done over the years and I realized, boy, I'm just about at 25 years of, of working in the industry. I don't think I feel as old as maybe I am or I look. But over that time, I've had the opportunity to wear numerous hats. I've been very fortunate to, to work in different aspects of agriculture. And, and one of the ones that I did for a few years was I worked in crop protection research. And I really enjoyed that because, you know, it's one thing to look at a label and, and sort of read what a product's going to do or, or whatnot. But when you're in the research, I kind of viewed it that my job was to break that product, you know, figure out how far you could push it. Where was it going to work the best? Where was it going to work the least? And, and I think that's what I'd like to talk about, you know, with yourself and your audience here today. We don't often get a lot of that with insecticides. We hear more about it in fungicides and, and herbicides where we have resistance issues and whatnot. But with, with insecticides, sometimes we just don't seem to go as deep. And I'm hoping maybe we can uh, do some of that today. Absolutely. That sounds great. So how about we just start off with telling us how insecticides work? What are they intended to do? And what type of ingredients help these products be effective? Yeah, and that's a great question, because I think one of the biggest challenges with insecticides is we sometimes refer to insects as bugs. You know, the first thing we need to remember is that an insect very simply is a bug, but a bug that has six legs. You know, so if we have slugs that are doing damage to our uh, our crop uh, and we think that we're going to bring an insecticide into the equation, it, it's not going to work. Right. Slugs are actually mollusks. It, it, you know, we don't get that efficacy. So so that's the simplest one that we sometimes hear challenges with. How come it didn't work on that? Well, because that's not a true insect. But as a whole, insecticides are, are basically designed to do that. Anything with that side at the end means we're going to try to kill it. And what we're trying to do with insecticide is kill insects. Normally, they are working on uh, on specific targets within the plant, oftentimes linked to the nervous system. But each active ingredient behaves slightly differently. And so that's one thing we need to be aware of. But each active ingredient is also going to fall into what we refer to as the mode of action. You know, and there are different modes of action. And each of those modes of action are uniquely different from another mode of action, 
sometimes we forget that if you have two different unique active ingredients that are classified as the same mode of action, they are actually working on the insect at the same target, the same site of action. And, and so you might think, hey, you know, I'm using this product, product A, and then I'm going to rotate it with product B, you know, to get my IPM and, and, and management and so on, is if we're using the same mode of action, despite being two different products, we are actually putting tremendous selection pressure. So that's something to be aware of as well. But your last point about, you know, what ingredients or what other things are making these uh, products work, you know, that's that's a huge area and, and maybe even another topic. But we formulate these products so that they do the best job. Some of these products are water soluble and therefore you're going to use a, a carrier that is suits that nature. Other of them are, are solvent soluble or, or more soluble in oils. So we have to make sure that we're using that. Those would be your EC formulations. And then the other one is, is just around adjuvants. You know, there are times when we need to use adjuvants to help get these products to work better. There are other situations where we don't want to use an adjuvant because we can actually cause, you know, things to go sideways and, and crop response or whatnot. So it's a very uh, interesting and deep conversation. But really, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to kill, control insects and remembering that insects are those six-legged pests. Perfect. So specific to potato growers, what are some factors that might hinder an insecticide's efficiency in doing what it's supposed to do? In other words, if it doesn't work, why didn't it work? Yeah. And that's, you know, again, I mentioned earlier that dreaded word of resistance, and there's often that knee-jerk reaction like, hey, I sprayed and, and uh, I, I didn't get the control that I wanted. You know, the, the pest that I'm targeting, is it resistant? And yes, it could be. And we're definitely seeing some resistance issues popping up. But we also have to be aware that, that chemicals work under certain parameters. And when some of those parameters fall outside of the ideal range, they do stop to work. You know, temperature is a big one coverage you know most of the insecticides that we work with are contact based you think about a big potato crop late summer that is a huge dense canopy are we going to get you know into all the nooks and crannies and, and all those little spots where the insects might be hiding and are we going to get a lethal dose to uh, to hit those pests so there's a lot of reasons that that a an insecticide you know may not work as well as we hope and it's really important that we sort of dive in and, and try to figure out, was it something we did in application or the environment? Or, you know, are we starting to look at some resistance issues, which, again, we don't want to have, but we have to be aware that it, it can happen. Speaking of the environment, how does temperature impact how an insecticide works? Like whether it's unexpectedly hot one day or maybe there's a frost at night. Is there anything growers can do to counteract what Mother Nature decides on any given day? No, but it's a great question. So, so your question of can growers do something really there isn't, you know, but the reality is all insecticides sort of have a sweet spot in terms of where they perform the best depending on, on temperature. You know, if we think about some of the neonicotinoids, they tend to be more active at higher temperatures. Typically where they impact the uh, the insect, uh, that target, it's it's more active when the temperature is high and when we introduce a uh, the, the insecticide it hits that it shuts it down faster and we get better control but conversely if we think of a product like say the lambda cyhalothrins so that might be something like silencer or, or our new product zaveda it actually tends to work poorer when the temperature is high and and oftentimes that confuses people and, and i have to admit it confused myself until a couple of years ago where i was able to find the research of why that is 
But what it does is it's actually targeting the sodium channel. And so the sodium channel is the way that two nerves are going to talk to each other. And they're throwing a sodium molecule back and forth. And that's what's causing the snaps to go on and off, on and off. And, and the nerves are, are communicating. What the lambda side does, is it goes in there and it disrupts that. And so that's why it works so quickly, because if your nerves aren't talking, your muscles don't talk, you drop, you're dead very, very quick. The problem is, though, that once we get into those upper 20 degrees Celsius weather, so hot, the insect no longer uses the sodium channel as its means of communication. It'll switch over to another channel. Don't ask me which. It might be the calcium or the chloride channel. But the reality is, if we introduce lambda psi, the AI is still you know, there. It still should be doing what it's supposed to do. It's just that the insect, the target that we're trying to control, is no longer using the sodium channel. And insects, although not as evolved as we are in terms of you know, excreting or, or removing toxins from our body, they do have that ability. So if we're spraying when it's too hot with a lambda psi product, you know, it's hot for the next three or four hours, it is possible that that insecticide is going to go in, it's going to come back out, and it's not going to have any activity because the sodium channel, the part that it hits, just isn't being used by the insect under those conditions. And so that's one of those ones where you go, aha. And I think a lot of people have been surprised, like, hey, it's a beautiful sunny day. You know, I can see the bugs. They're up on the canopy. Let's go out and spray them. And, and you know, using a lambdicide product and they don't die. Well, why is that? Well, it's because that's not the way that they work. They just do not work at those high temperatures. We need to wait till it's cooler in the evening or in the morning. And then all of a sudden it's going to work just like liquid fire again. So it's really important to understand the impact that temperature can have. Okay. And a little bit of a follow-up question to that, which I, I didn't provide to you before, but uh, just thinking as you were talking there, um, is there a better time of year that you can be using certain insecticides, like whether it be spring, summer, late summer, um, depending on what type of ingredient and what bugs you're actually trying to eradicate? Yeah, you know what? I, I don't know if I would make a, a, such a blanket statement because, again, we do have those those temperature uh, sweet spots, if you will, and we can get those sweet spots, you know, at, at spring, summer, or fall. Right? It's just more the, the the time of day. I think what would would trump that more so is what insect is there at what stage of the game, what insecticide is is most efficacious on that particular species, and so that would be why I would be doing it as opposed to saying, hey, let's use product A in the spring product B in the summer and, and C in the fall. I don't think I'd want to make that recommendation. I'd be more trying to make sure I'm following good IPM and that I'm, I'm making sure that I'm spraying at a time when the conditions are conducive for that insecticide to work the best as opposed to, you know, seasonality. Um, I don't think I would recommend seasonality, no. There is not a potato grower around who doesn't stress a little bit or a lot about Colorado potato beetle, especially since these harmful insects have shown resistance to over 50 different chemicals. Cormoran insecticide from Adama has proved an effective resistance management tool with two distinct modes of action, 4A and 15. These two different modes control all damaging stages of the insects, including immatures and adults, and offer 90% control of Colorado potato beetle. That's 10% higher than a sale and 20% higher than Rymon. For more information about Adama's potato portfolio, visit allinonpotatoes.ca. Prior to the podcast, you had said that you hear people talk a lot about an insecticide being better at chewing or sucking pests which sounds kind of gross, but I guess that's the whole point of an insecticide. So can you tell me what you mean by chewing and sucking and what growers should be looking for in an insecticide for their individual needs? 
Yeah, no, and that's that's a great question. And so I think when we think about the chewing pest, that's that's pretty simple, right? So we're thinking like a worm, we're thinking like a beetle, you know, so a Colorado potato beetle, it is going to get onto the foliage and it's going to start chewing, right? And you're going to see the hole that it made in, in the, the leaf and, and you know that it was there and, and it's very, very obvious. The sucking pest though, now we're thinking more things like a leaf hopper or, or something like an aphid. They actually have a proboscis. So if you think of a mosquito, right, that little stem that they're going to shove into your arm to, to suck some of your blood, the same sort of thing is going to happen with some of those insects. They're going to put that proboscis in through the uh, the waxy cuticle on the leaf and into the uh, into the leaf itself, and it's going to start to suck out the sap. So you've got chewing pests in that regard. Typically, those are the larger bugs, and we have the sucking pests. The sucking pests are a little bit harder to diagnose because oftentimes you don't see any damage right away but at the same time they are sucking out all that beautiful nutrients that we want to go to the potatoes you know to, to form the uh, the spuds growing underground and so understanding that you have two different ways that the insects are feeding we also have to understand how some of the insecticides are going to work and really what you want to think about in that regard is does is the insecticide more soluble in water or is it more soluble in solvents and solvents you know we often think of oil as the carrier but we can also think of the waxy cuticle as being a solvent and so if you have a product again something like a lambda cyhalothrin so you know silencer or, or zaveda um, it is going to bind in very tightly to the waxy cuticle and so we just talked about if it was too hot when we spray the bug, they may not die. But if they come back in a couple hour later, when the temperature starts to drop and they chew that leaf, and when they chew that leaf, they're eating the waxy cuticle. And when they're eating the waxy cuticle, they are also ingesting the, uh, the lambda insecticide. We will see some control and we will get a little bit of residual out of that active for the chewing pests because it's there. But if you have an aphid that goes on to a leaf that was sprayed with a lambda side product, it's going to put its proboscis through the waxy cuticle. It is not going to suck up enough of it. And because that active, the lambda side, does not get into the sap, it's not water soluble. When that aphid starts to pull out some of that juice from the plant, it is not going to be pulling out any of that active ingredient, any of that insecticide. So it's not going to die. Conversely, you know, some of those products that do have more water solubility, so something like an acetamiprid, um, it will get into that leaf, it will move through the leaf, and it will be there in the sap. And so now it's going to have activity on those sucking pests. So if we spray it today and the aphids arrive tomorrow and they insert their proboscis and start to pull out the sap, they are also going to pull out some of that insecticide and we are going to get some control on them because of the fact that it's in the sap it is controlling those sucking pests so you know it's it's a fairly complicated you know and i i hope it didn't confuse too much but there is very subtle differences and and those differences make a big impact in the field and again the earlier question you know why does sometimes it work and sometimes it doesn't because sometimes we're using the wrong product for the pest that we're targeting. Yeah, we can kill it if we hit it directly, but we're not going to have that residual because it's not it's not there in the sap to control those sucking pests. Yeah, no, that was really good. You actually explained very well how uh, how you manage both the different types of pests. Um, so what would some of the most common misconceptions be when it comes to insecticides and their use? I, I, I think it's it's that they're going to kill everything. 
Um, you know, it's, it's this fact that I've, I've, I've got this, this jug, uh, and, and I'm going to put it and I'm going to spray it onto my crop. And, and, you know, if I've got an insect in there, they're, they're going to die. And then you go back in, you know, after the, 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 the required re-entry interval and, and you start to walk around, you go, well, well, wait a second. Um, uh, I killed this bug, but I didn't kill that bug. What's, what's going on. And, and, and I think that's, you know, oftentimes we just think insecticide, all insects dead. And, and that's just not the case. I mean, yes. Under ideal circumstances, we could probably take every insecticide and kill every pest. But in that potato crop where they have the ability to get into the canopy and hide from those droplets, you know, and if it's a purely contact um, insecticide and they're not getting that contact, we're not going to see that. So it's understanding the way that each unique active behaves and making sure that we take the unique actives to target the unique pest that's in there at that time to get optimal control. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Drew. I appreciate that information. Or do you have any final thoughts on how growers can best manage pests using insecticides this coming season? Well, honestly, I, I'm, I'm a big, big believer in the integrated pest management and, and the basis of integrated pest management is, is boots on the ground. You know, we need to be in the field looking to make sure that we identify correctly what pest it is. Is it at that threshold? You know, do we need to pull the trigger or, or do we wait a bit? But what I think a lot of people sometimes forget to do is, is that follow-up walking. You know, again, you need to, to obey the, the re-entry intervals, but you need to go back in afterwards and see, did it work? Hey, I was chasing Colorado potato beetle. I've got a product that was registered on Colorado potato beetle. Are they dead? You know, if you go back in and they're not dead, that's when you need to start asking questions. Okay, did, did I do something wrong? Did I, did I unfortunately have the wrong temperature or, or the wrong conditions or whatnot or is it something that maybe there is some resistance and to me you know walking the field walking the field walking the field I, I cut my teeth in the industry as a crop scout so maybe that's what uh, biases me a bit but um, we need to be out there both before and after the application to really get a full understanding of, of how well they are working and if you are getting out there and doing that please be sun safe and, and uh, wear your sunscreen. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks a lot, Drew. We really appreciate it. Thanks for joining Tuber Talk. Well, my, I, I appreciate it very much and, and all the best to all the growers this upcoming season. Thank you for listening to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Catch up on all of our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or online at potatoesincanada.com slash podcasts.